Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 10. First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. Hear now the word of the living God. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, living God, we pray that you might encourage our souls, that the Holy Spirit may so incline our hearts to hear and our minds to receive your word this evening and your table, that the risen and ascended Christ who stands among his churches spiritually even now might be seen and savored, loved and adored and that we may cling to his words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Periodically in the life of a church, particularly a church like ours where there is growth or people come because of military and people transition out because of military, it's worth looking at familiar passages of scripture that we've seen before. Several years ago, we as a church spend some time considering the Lord's Supper. And now, just about every Lord's Day, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And one of the passages that we often read is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. You hear it in a mixture of texts within a matter of weeks. And because people come and people go, and because we observe the Lord's Supper, and I think we're right to do that regularly, occasionally it's worth repeating certain teachings, certain doctrines, so that we may all come to understand with fuller engagement what those texts of Scripture teach us. And particularly, as we see tonight, what this table teaches us. If you're a note taker tonight, I have one simple point for you. Just one. And it is this. The Lord's Supper is a present participation in the accomplished benefits of the spiritually present body and blood of Christ. I know that's a mouthful. Let me say that one more time. Just one main point tonight. The Lord's Supper is a present participation in the accomplished benefits of the spiritually present Christ. Now, those words are chosen carefully. The Lord's Supper, that which we are about to partake of, that table that we meet at each week. Present participation, meaning that when we come to the table, there is a participation. Accomplished benefits. 
that the Christ who lived a perfect life was crucified, buried, was raised and ascended, as many of you meditated upon this morning, and ascended is a Christ who has accomplished benefits, namely grace. And we are participating in the spiritually present Christ in the supper. I will say that point several times, but let me walk you through this text and make the argument that when we come to the Lord's Supper, there is a participation with Christ. There is a spiritual participation, fellowship, communion with the body and blood of Christ. That this table is not just remembering Jesus, although it is that. That this table is not just another opportunity for the gospel to be heard, although it is that. But that this table is a present participation for believers in the body and blood of Christ, albeit spiritually. For this, let me take you to 1 Corinthians, but we need to back up because if you notice, notice our text, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9, and 10 really is about idolatry. It's not predominantly about the Lord's Supper at this point. But then, as Paul encourages the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry, he then moves them very quickly to the Lord's Supper. The cup that we bless, the bread which we break. This is the Lord's Supper cup, the Lord's Supper bread. What does the bread and cup of the Lord's Supper have to do with idolatry? For that, we need to go back two chapters to 1 Corinthians 8. 1 Corinthians 8. Let me read just a few verses to you there. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with consciousness of the idol, until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. The question in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, because you remember the letter of 1 Corinthians is a letter wherein Paul has to correct many problems in the church at Corinth. The letter moves to another question in this chapter, chapter 8. We are believers, Paul. What are we to do if we're given food that has somehow been offered in false idolatrous sacrifices? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 4, that idols themselves are nothing. 
And 1 Corinthians 8, 9 through 13 says that even though we are free to eat whatever we wish, we need to use that liberty in the right way. We don't want to use our liberty to the detriment, to the harm of another brother or sister. And so then the next chapter, which we won't read, but in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul uses himself as an apostle, as an example of giving up freedom. There is Christian liberty in things not denied us by the law of God. But that liberty needs to be used properly. So then, in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 22, Paul encourages Christians not to eat at pagan temples. You can eat the food that you buy in the market that may have been used in some kind of temple sacrifice, but don't go to the pagan temples and eat there. For that, he says, is idolatry. That is idolatry. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 and following. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience' sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience' sake, For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Eating food from the market that may have been sacrificed as a part of pagan rituals is not wrong unless it hinders the gospel. Now, this is the context, starting in chapter 8 all the way to the end of our chapter. This is the context. Idolatry, eating certain meats and Christian liberty. Again, what does that have to do with the Lord's Supper bread and the Lord's Supper cup? Well, for that, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Paul then continues. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is this not communion of the body of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one. And one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are those not who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. 
You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now, what's happening? You've got these bookends of chapter 8 and 9 and the very end of 10, all speaking about idolatry. But here, surrounding the verses related to the Lord's Supper, you have a discussion about other tables. Namely, the tables that the Gentiles use in their pagan markets with food sacrificed to their false gods, demons, Paul says. Quickly then, verse 14 tells them to flee idolatry. Verse 16, the Lord's Supper is contrasted, compared with pagan idolatry. Then in verse 18, the Old Testament Jews are used as an example. To eat from the altar in the Old Testament was to share in the altar, to participate in the altar. Verses 19 and 20, Paul makes clear, it's not the food itself. Again, go back to 1 Corinthians 8, 4. The food is nothing. It's all It's all God's. But what matters is the God of the ritual, boys and girls, God with a little g, the false God. You go and you participate in a meal in a false temple. Paul is saying you're participating with demons, with the God's little g of that table. So he says in verses 21 and 22, because God is true, because he is jealous, flee idolatry. So what do we learn about the Lord's Supper table? Well, we inch ever closer to our two verses, don't we? 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. Paul says there in verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This would have been the third cup of the Jewish Passover meal that Jesus would have used to institute the Lord's Supper. Ultimately, what we know of as the cup of wine for the Lord's Supper. He says, this is a cup of blessing which we bless. The Greek there could be translated, the cup for which we give thanks. The Lord's table is a time of thanksgiving. But then... Twice, Paul will say, is it not? Doesn't he do that often in various books? He'll ask questions and then he'll give the answer. Is it not? (laughs) Paul's going to use this rhetorical questioning device, which shows that the answer is yes. Is it not what? The communion of the blood of Christ. Now think Of all the things that we've heard thus far, don't eat in pagan temples because when you do, you have what? Communion with demons, the gods of those tables. There aren't other gods, boys and girls, but there are demons who like to convince people who don't know Jesus all over the world that there are other gods. And when you go to their tables and you eat in their sacrifices, you have fellowship with, you are participating in the gods of those false tables. Now, in the New King James, it says, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? That word communion is the Greek word koinonia. Many of you have heard that word. It means communion, fellowship, participation in. Any of those translations are good words. Every time Paul uses this Greek word or one of its cognates, He does so distinctly with a focus on the relationship of faith to Christ. 
For him, koinonia is always connected to Jesus in one way or another. It's often translated fellowship. It could be sharer, communion, participator. But here it seems best to view it with a focus on participation. Again, don't eat of the false tables. Why? What's the warning? What's the warning? Don't eat of the false tables. Because when you do, do you not have fellowship with demons? Now, speaking of the Lord's supper table, he says, the cup of blessing, which we bless. Is it not the communion or participation in what? The blood of Christ. Of the blood of Christ. Now, this is important because notice that the koinonia, the fellowship, the communion, the participation is not first or primarily about fellowship with each other. Many of us were raised thinking that that communion is communion because we get to come together, (laughs) which it is. Our text says that in verse 17, for we, though many are One bread and one body, for we all partake of one bread. Yes, the supper is not a meal we take by ourselves. We do it on the Lord's Day, in the right way, with his people. But what is the primary koinonia that we have? The primary fellowship that we have? It's the fellowship in the blood of Christ. It's the fellowship in or with the body of Christ. Don't eat of the tables of false gods, because when you do, you have fellowship with who? Demons. But when you come to the Lord's table, what do you have fellowship with? The risen Christ and his body and blood. You don't just remember him, although we ought to do that. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. There is a fellowship, a koinonia, a participation in something at this table. The only table of the true and living God. Those other tables are false tables. But they provide fellowship with, participation with, the demons of those tables. Well, somehow then, are you saying that there's fellowship with Christ? Yes. But how are we to think about that? Because don't we have fellowship with Christ all the time? I mean, even the word of God, even in 1 Corinthians tells us that. I mean, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul opens the letter this way, doesn't he? He says in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the what? Fellowship. The participation the communion of his son. You've been called into this fellowship with Christ. So if we, if we have fellowship with Christ all of the time, how is the Lord's Supper table different? Or perhaps turn over to 1 John. Different author, however, writing under the same Holy Spirit. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. John opens the letter and he says this, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have what fellowship with us. 
And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So it seems that the Bible says we always have fellowship with God. We always have fellowship with Jesus. How is this table any different? We have ongoing fellowship. Indeed, Paul makes clear in our text, in the middle of contrasting it with the pagan idolatrous meals, Paul is saying that when we come to the table, we experience this fellowship with Jesus in a very particular way, a very distinct way. Yes, verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 10 seems to indicate that we do have fellowship with each other when we come to this table. But primarily and firstly, verse 16 says that we have fellowship, what? In the body and blood of Christ. What could that mean? What could that mean? For this, we must again look at the surrounding text. Verse 18. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? So Paul now says, look at Israel. Look at the Jews after the flesh. Look at ethnic Israel. He says, are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers? Guess what word that is? Those having koinonia. Are they not partakers of the altar? 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 8, these Old Testament Jews are given as examples of persons who, by eating of the sacrifices to false gods, broke covenant with God. (coughs) Exodus 24 details that story. Verse 18 then says that eating of these sacrifices connected you to what? To the meaning of those sacrifices. Paul continues in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 10. Now he moves off of the Jews and he goes to the Gentiles. He says, rather than the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And then notice what he says. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Now again, this this entire three chapter section is ultimately about not having idolatry in the Christian church. What does he say? Our table is different. Not that our table is just a table of remembering while their table connects you to demons. No. Our table is a table where you have connection with who? Christ. And it's inconsistent for you to have meals where you're fellowshipping with demons, participating with demons. You have koinonia, if we could say that word, with demons, and then come to the table of the Lord. So make no mistake, these chapters are about fleeing idolatry, but we learn about the Lord's Supper, don't we? And this is why it's important, because regularly here at Grace Baptist Chapel, you will hear us say when we come to this table that we are not simply remembering Jesus. We are doing that. That's called the memorial view. You just remember Jesus dying on the cross and... You you think on that and you confess your sins. And we we do do that. We're commanded to remember Jesus. But one of the teachings of Holy Scripture, beloved, is that when we come to the table, there's more than remembering that's happening here. Because the world goes to their tables and has fellowship with demons. But we come to Christ's table and what do we have fellowship with? 
the body and blood of Christ. The body and blood of Christ. He's using, Paul that is, false worship and idolatry to show that just like eating of pagan rituals, which the Corinthian Christians would have been tempted to do everywhere, Monday, Tuesday, all throughout the week, Just like in those rituals, there would be a fellowship of sorts, a connection spiritually, if you will, with demons and the message of those rituals. Eating at the Lord's table gives you fellowship with Christ in a particular way. It doesn't save you. This table is not a table that gives you fellowship in the sense that you were outside of Christ. And now if you just eat the bread and drink the wine, you're now in Christ. Because you are Christ's and you are unified with him, united to him. When you come to this table in faith and in repentance, you have koinonia with the body and blood of Christ. Again, notice what Paul says in verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of, some translations render it participation in, the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of, participation in, sharing in, fellowship of, the body of Christ? So as we move to the table, what does it mean then? We see the surrounding pieces, okay, we're contrasting tables. (laughs) Don't eat at the pagan tables because you will have fellowship with demons. But in our table that Christ has instituted for us, we have participation and fellowship with Christ's body and blood. But what does that mean? Well, it cannot mean that we are making him bleed and be broken all over again. That would clearly deny a whole host of scriptures. My family and family worship this week was in that passage in John's Gospel where Jesus is hanging on the cross and shortly before he dies, he utters those famous words which we cling to, don't we? It is finished. The book of Hebrews reminds us that Christ will not bleed again. He's the final sacrifice. So it doesn't mean that we are making him bleed all over again, that there is a re-sacrifice, if you will, of Christ. It also can't mean that we are literally eating the flesh and blood of his physical body, since his physical body is at the right hand of God. And this is why our church just walked through the the doctrine of God (laughs) This is why it's important to understand the two natures of Christ. Boys and girls, Jesus is everywhere according to his divinity. He's God. There's no place where he is not. But Jesus has another nature, doesn't he? He's fully, truly human. He's he's not superhuman. I know sometimes we read the gospel stories and we think that. We think, well, Jesus could walk through walls and he could do all these things. His flesh is everywhere in the world. That's not the case, beloved. He is fully, truly human, like unto us in every way, yet without sin. So a right understanding of what we call the hypostatic union, the two natures of Christ, means that unlike some brothers and sisters, we understand the scripture to be clear that 
It's not as though Jesus's body and blood is in every church, every Lord's Day all over the world. As if you could make him somehow more or less human than the rest of us. But the text says we have fellowship with his body and his blood. We've already said this. This text makes clear that it's not just an opportunity to think about Jesus. Which is why for many of us, the Lord's Supper has become precious. Let me just speak for myself. I grew up, I love the heritage that I have, but I grew up in a church where the Lord's Supper was infrequently practiced, maybe once every three months. And in that practice, it was generally just either not said or said that we're remembering Jesus. Well, we can remember Jesus anytime, can't we? Talking to a friend, having a cup of coffee on a Wednesday morning, we remember Jesus. When we read our Bibles, we remember Jesus. When we hear sermons, we remember Jesus. When we sing Christ-centered songs, what do we do? We remember Jesus. So perhaps for many of us, the Lord's Supper isn't as special as it ought to be because it's just another opportunity among many where we just remember Jesus. Our text makes clear there's something else happening for blood-bought believers who come to the table in faith beyond just remembering. 1 Corinthians 10.16 is saying that the Lord's Supper is a present, a current participation in the accomplished benefits, grace, of the spiritually present Body and blood of Christ. By the Holy Spirit, when we come to this table, it is as if spiritually, not physically, as we're eating bread and we're drinking wine, but spiritually, we are feasting upon the body and blood of Christ. Spiritually, not, as the old writers used to say, corporeally, not physically, but spiritually. Maybe you've heard of a little document called the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. This is exactly what chapter 30, paragraph 7, teaches us. It says this, Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this ordinance, do then also inwardly by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally, and corporeally, not not physically, but spiritually, receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. The body and blood of Christ being then not corporeally or carnally, but spiritually present to the faith of believers in that ordinance as the elements themselves are to their outward senses. And that is a glorious pastoral phrase. When you come to the table, the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism, they almost heighten that a little bit. And and, and our forefathers in the Reformed Baptist house, if you will, or better said, perhaps room of the house that is Christ's church, our forefathers thought similarly that when you hold that piece of bread in your hand 
And you take that cup and you partake of them. Just as sure as you are that that bread is in your mouth. Just as sure as you are that that wine is crossing your lips and your tongue. That is how sure you can be by faith. That the body and blood of Christ has been given to you. This is what is meant by participation. You're not eating literal flesh and drinking literal blood, but spiritually present to your faith is the body and blood of Christ. And this is why this table means more than just another opportunity in the midst of a whole lot of opportunities of the week to remember Jesus. This table is a present koinonia. A connection, a sharing, a participation in the spiritually present body and blood of Christ. From time to time, it's worth reviewing these things because we say this just about every week. Usually it's me, I'll stand behind this pulpit or behind this table and I'll say, we're going to come to the table. And this is a visible sermon. This is a covenant meal. But typically, before you come and make your way past this table, you will hear me say something like, this is a meal where Christ is spiritually present. That's very intentional. Not just because we want to be reformed. Not just because we believe in creeds and confessions, as helpful as they are. But because the Word of God, in contrasting the koinonia of the world says you actually have real fellowship with the body and blood of Christ spiritually when you come to this table. Christ is nourishing you, and as the book of John would say, I am the bread of life. He who eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood, right? This table is a sermon. It's an opportunity, like a lot of others, to think about Jesus. But this table is... The cosmic feast table of the world. Because here, the only one able to save is present with you. The only food that will feed you and never fail you is present to you. The only food that will satisfy both the requirements of God and the earnest need of your soul is hereby put before you. And so, as you know, several years ago, the elders said, we should come to this table more frequently rather than less. That seemed to be the pattern of the early church. When they gathered, they went to the table. Can you imagine in Corinth in the first century, the tables of this temple, the tables of that temple on a given Sunday, active, selling meat. Some of those places likely would have had almost like cafes in their kind of temples. Come sacrifice and come get some food. In the midst of all that, Paul is saying, it may not seem that massive to you, and it may not look as showy, But you, small band of Corinthian believers, with all of the other tables around you, all of the false tables where they're having connection and fellowship with demons and false gods, 
avoid those tables. Because that's inconsistent with you. That's inconsistent with who you are. Because when you gather on the Lord's Day, you come to this table and you have a fellowship. You have a coinage. It's with body and blood of Christ. So every time we come, we ought to think, I get to remember Jesus. Yes. But you ought to say to yourself, my Savior is spiritually present to my faith. And my soul will spiritually be fed now by his body and blood. That's the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper is a present participation in the accomplished benefits of the spiritually present body and blood of Christ. Let's pray.